Hey everybody, before you listen to today's podcast, A, I hope everybody is doing well. I know this has been quite the year. And two, make sure, like right now, like stop and make sure, write this down. 212-931-5731. So much of getting the first mover advantage in my world or to just get a random text that makes you feel better. I've been blown away by the random text to make you feel better, what that's meant to tens of thousands of you and how that's impacted your day. So if you want to smile or if you want an advantage, check me out on my text platform, 212-931-5731. Text it and follow the directions that I reply to you with. And, uh, and I appreciate for all of you that have been on the community platform with me. And here is your podcast. This is the Gary V Audio Experience. Smoke is fucking cool. Uh, Thank you so much. I'm very, very excited to be here this afternoon. Uh, honestly, to be very blunt, I'm looking forward to getting into this part very quickly uh, because I, uh, this is the first time I'm speaking in Bucharest and I don't wanna miss the opportunity to answer your one-on-one questions. We obviously live in a 2017, 2018 world where a lot of this content is stuff that you can find online but our opportunity to engage with each other and allow me to answer the questions one-on-one is a rarity, so I wanna take advantage of that. So before, before I go into it and to figure out how quickly I wanna go into Q&A, uh, by show of hands, how many people here don't know much about me and don't know much about my spiel? Raise your hands. Okay, that hurts. <laughs> Fair enough, but that's what I thought. Okay, I'll give you the back, backdrop. I apologize for some of my fans here that have heard this first 10 minutes, but I wanna frame up the context for the majority of you, and then we'll go into uh, the State of the Union, and then I'd love to go into Q&A. Uh, I was born, you know, it's fun, as an American, I was born much closer to here than where I live now. I was born in Belarus, in Babrusk, not too far away. Uh, I, I left the uh, former Soviet Union in 1978 and moved to uh, Queens, New York in the States. I grew up in a very immigrant upbringing, uh, six, seven, eight family members in a studio apartment in Queens, New York. It was, a, it was a tough time in the US economy. My dad did construction in Russia and wasn't able to get any jobs like that in the US, so the first uh, solid paying job he was able to get was a $2 an hour job being a stock boy in a liquor store in New Jersey. He eventually uh, ascended to being the manager of that store and we moved to Edison, New Jersey when I was five, six years old. Uh, I am as purebred of an entrepreneur as you will find basically since the time I was four, five, six years old. The most interesting thing to me in the world was selling stuff to people. When I was five, six, I had three, four, five lemonade stands in New Jersey and would spend my summer days you know, washing cars, ripping people's flowers out of their yard and selling it back to them. Any, anything to make a buck, finding random things in my friends' homes and selling it, selling, 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 selling. Uh, when my, you know, it's funny, immigrants have a very good strategy. They save all their money, spend none of it, and eventually buy something, and that's what my family did for the first seven, eight years of our lives in the US. We lived very humbly and eventually my dad bought a small liquor store in, uh, in Springfield, New Jersey. I, at the age of 12, 11, 12, 13, baseball cards, football cards, sports cards, and memorabilia were very big in the US at this point. 
and I became a major collector and seller and was making one to $2,000 a weekend selling baseball cards. And so at that point, as a 13-year-old, I was very rich. Uh, that was a lot of money for a kid that way. And then my dad kind of ruined my life when I turned 14, being the oldest son you know, in an immigrant family, merchant family, you know, first generation, he dragged me into the liquor store and every weekend and every summer vacation I had from the time that I was in eighth grade, 14 years old, I spent in the liquor store bagging ice, stocking shelves. I was a classic merchant's son. Uh, I, I hated it. I didn't want to sell beer and liquor, but somewhere around the second or third year of me being involved in my family business, I realized that people collected wine. And that was the first time that I'd become interested in my dad's business. Whether it was sports memorabilia or wine, collecting and selling, that felt natural to me. I became fascinated and I went headfirst into that business and decided that I was going to join the family business because A, I was a terrible student and wasn't gonna go that route. And B, I really wanted to, you know, it's funny, if there's ever been a feeling in my life that I'm more obsessed to, it's that I hate owing anybody anything. I hate asking. It's a very Eastern European thing, I think. You know, I hate asking. I hate owing anybody a favor. So extreme that I felt that I even had to pay back my parents for the life they were giving me, and I felt very compelled and very pulled towards going into the family business and helping it. So my plan was that I was gonna open up, you know, as a 17-year-old who thought he was gonna be the biggest, I said, I'm gonna open up 2,000 wine stores across all of America, build the biggest franchise of wine stores in America, sell it one day, and buy the New York Jets American football team, and that was my strategy. What happened next is why I'm standing here. I was a freshman in college playing video games, Madden 94, dominating, by the way, um, and my friend came into the room and he said, you have to come and see this. Now, there's a lot of youngsters in this room as I look around. For some of us that have a little bit more gray hairs, you know, in 1994, the internet seemed like fantasy. It was something I'd read about once or twice, the information superhighway. This was not mainstream, obviously, definitely not mainstream in Eastern or Western Europe and definitely not mainstream in the US. I walked into a dorm room, I heard cuckoo, which was the sound of dial-up internet in America. And I sat, and again, I want, to, I want the youngsters to listen to what I'm about to say. I sat in a room for six hours and watched people on the internet. It was interesting enough just to watch somebody be on the internet because it was so crazy compared to what I grew up with and I'd never seen anything like it. After six hours of watching guys spend 30 minutes at a time at their turn to be on the internet, I sat down, six hours, and I went on an America Online bulletin board and saw that people were selling and trading baseball cards. And within the first 10 minutes of my life ever being on the internet, it clicked in my mind. I said, holy shit, I don't need to open up 2,000 stores. I can do something with this. And for the next six, seven months of my life, late 1994, early 1995, I read and learned and went on the internet, went to the library, which I never did before, to go on the internet, tried to figure out what is this thing, because this thing intuitively, in my gut, I knew there was something here. What this led to was in 1996, a year later, I launched one of the first e-commerce wine businesses in America. Um, my father got ridiculed 
for letting me spend the money to build this website. Everybody thought that I should open a second store, not an e-commerce business. Again, youngsters in this room, most people, most people who were 40 and older in 1995, 1994, 1996, thought that the internet itself was a fad. Not Snapchat, not Instagram, the whole thing was a fad. And so for me, this was the first time in my career that I was fighting against the system. For the first time in my business career, I believed deeply, religiously, blindly in something that everybody who had more money, who was older, who'd been around, vehemently disagreed with me. This became the theme and continues to be the theme of my life, which is the only thing I care about, and I say it up there, I day trade attention. For me, I'm not emotional that Twitter is not a play in Romania. It means nothing to me. I just care about what is a play. If I want to sell something here, I care what is, not what I want it to be or what I wish it would be or what I hope it would be. My friends in venture capital over the next half decade are going to lose a fortune in virtual reality consumer. They want all of us to be living in VR, but we're not, not yet. Maybe in B2B, maybe if you go to an event, Maybe if you go to the Olympics or a soccer match, Coca-Cola, you put it on, fine. But nobody here is going home tonight and putting on a VR headset and spending three hours. It's not what we're doing yet. Nobody's doing that. So it doesn't matter to me if I'm excited about Snapchat or Instagram stories or Facebook or Google. The only thing I care about is attention. And in 1996, I believed that people's attentions were about to go into computers and that they would buy stuff. I took over my dad's business in 1998, and in a five-year window, from 1998 to 2003, on a business that had very little profit, my first year, the entire marketing budget was fifteen to $20,000 for the year. And from 1998 to 2003, I built that business from a four to a $60 million business, all on the back of everything that I want to talk about today. Back then, it was email marketing. How many people here have done email marketing in their career? Raise your hands. Raise it high. You're gonna love this. In 1997, I had a 200,000 person email newsletter selling wine that had 91% open rates. <laughs> Don't clap, I wasn't special. It was that nobody else was email marketing in 1996. How many people here had email in 1996? Anybody, raise your hands, raise it high. Okay, so for the 50 of you, you remember what I remember. In 1996, you read every fucking email <laughs> and every word. Because my friends, more than I know that the sun will come up tomorrow, I know that marketers ruin every platform. And in 1996, email had not been ruined yet and that's why I had 91% open rates and I built my business on the back of email marketing while my competitors were sending catalogs in the mail, spending $7 to make a catalog and sent, putting a stamp on it. I had already sold the wine to those people two weeks, four weeks, six weeks earlier for zero cost. And then a little thing came along called Google and that was good for me because they had an ad product called Google AdWords and the day that Google AdWords came out, how many people here have worked on Google AdWords in their career? Figured, the day that Google AdWords came out, I bought every wine term you can imagine. Wine, Cabernet, Napa Valley, Bordeaux, and it cost me back then, for the first seven months, the minimum was five cents a click, not 10 cents a click. So for the first seven months, 
that the Google AdWords platform was out, I owned the majority of the 200 most searched wine terms for five cents a click before anybody bid me up. And so this became the pattern. Email marketing, first actually having a website, then email marketing, then Google AdWords. And I was rolling and I was rolling and I was rolling and for all intents and purposes, I had made it, right? We had a family liquor business, now we're a $60 million company. I had to buy my car at a garage sale. My brother AJ got a brand new Lexus. We made it, right? And then YouTube comes. And YouTube comes out and I look at it in 2005 and I say this is gonna change the world. I thought YouTube was gonna be huge. And so within the first nine months of YouTube being a platform, I started a show called Wine Library TV where in 2006, I used to sit in front of a camera with four bottles of wine and for 20 minutes, I would drink them. (laughs) This was the first time in my career that I was building an audience and then they were buying wine for me on winelibrary.com and it was the first time ever that I was selling product not by running advertising but by doing content, by being a media company not by being an advertiser. And it hit me very seriously. But what hit me way more, my friends, was that only a couple months later, YouTube sold to Google for $1.6 billion. And to remind, how many people were in tech or media or advertising in 2006? Love it. So you guys remember, that number seemed like a trillion dollars. We didn't have $2 billion X. That would be literally, literally like if you woke up tomorrow and saw that Musical.ly sold for $1.5 trillion. It was massive. It seemed like so much money. And I remember waking up that morning and realizing, you know what? Website, email, Google AdWords, now YouTube. I have this talent. And it's the only talent that I have. Listen, I get to be the hottest speaker. I get all that smoke. Uh, You're all here. I get it, it's very funny to me and it's something I want to talk to you about. It's, a, it's about self-awareness. What I really want to talk to some of the entrepreneurs in here is you need to figure out who you are. It blows my mind that I am average and extremely below average in so many things. Most things, almost everything. But there's one little thing I'm super good at which is I'm unemotional around human behavior. I don't judge what you're gonna do. I don't care where the world's going, I just watch what you do and I move very quickly. And in that intuition, and in that non-romantic point of view, in that unemotional, it is what it is, and human beings evolve, in that I have found my career and I realized I had a talent. And I said to myself, okay, enough. Website, email, Google AdWords, YouTube, yes, I've built a good wine company, but the next time I feel that feeling, And that's what it was. All four of those things, just a feeling, just goosebumps, just a feeling. I said, the next time I feel that, I'm gonna invest and become an angel investor because the money is far greater than if I sell some more Bordeaux. And in 2007 and 2008, the first three companies I felt that for and invested in were called Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. Yeah, that you can clap for. So as you can imagine, that changed my career. I, I made a lot of money on paper. Um, I did really well. And then, and then a very interesting thing happened. I took another step back and I said, who am I? 
as I got to know Mark Zuckerberg and Ev Williams and then met all the fancy VCs, Chris Saka and Kushner and all these people, I realized I didn't look like any of them. I was definitely not gonna invent the next Facebook or Tumblr, I didn't see that. And to be very honest, I'm not that passionate about being an investor. I'm an operator, I like doing. I've, I've done very well, I continue to invest. I went on to invest in Pinterest and Snapchat and Uber. I made a, I've done very, very well. I do have that skill, but I don't love it. What I love is building businesses. What, I, what I'm proud of is that I know a lot of you follow me on Instagram and things of that nature where it's motivational, like get up and do it and fuck this and fuck that and da 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 da. I love that, but what's much more interesting to me is the fact that I've gone out and done it, right? I went out and built a $60 million e-commerce retail business. In the last six years, I've built one of the fastest growing digital advertising agencies in the world. I've built that literally from zero to $130 million in revenue in six years. I've done it, I've executed. And so for me, the operations is what I wanted to do. And so what I'm in the middle of is, I've built VaynerMedia, this big agency, but my dream and why I built it is over the next decade, I'm gonna go out and buy Apple, you know, Cracker Jacks, I'm gonna go out and buy Ked Sneaker, I'm gonna go out and buy San Pellegrino Sparkling Water, I'm gonna go out and buy brands, and then I'm gonna run them through my machine, and I'm gonna market like it's 2020, not like it's 2003 or 2005. What has been fascinating for me in the last five to seven years being on Madison Avenue, at Cannes, you know, advertising festival, being in the agency landscape, not in the entrepreneur landscape, is how much money is being wasted, how much money is being poured into television and programmatic banner and pre-roll digital assets. An ungodly amount of money is being thrown directly in the trash. We are living through the greatest human shift in communication since the radio to the television. This is the single biggest shift in the way that we interact since the late 40s and early 50s in the US and a little bit later in other parts of the world. My friends, this is it. If you do not storytell, communicate, market on this device and on the eight or nine platforms that dominate this advice, you are barely existing. And that is happening on an everyday basis. It's not that people don't see outdoor billboards or print ads or television ads. I'm fine with that. Everything potentially works. I'm just worried about what's underpriced and what's overpriced. To me, the punchline isn't what's working and not working. It's what's appropriately priced and underpriced. That is why I use the word day trade because for me, if Snapchat is rolling in the US and European markets for under 35 and it's a good deal and the next day, Instagram decides to copy all of its features and it slows down and that's fine by me. If I wake up tomorrow and find out that Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat and Tumblr and, and, and YouTube and Google are gone, no emotion for me. As a matter of fact, that would be better because that would mean that everybody has to scramble to figure out where everybody's attention is and I just have no romance or no financial tie-in to what I want it to be. I just need to figure out where it's gonna be. And so I implore, actually let me break this down. How many people here are entrepreneurs and have their own company? Raise your hand. Okay. How many people here work at an agency? Very nice. How many people at a, a corporation or a company? 
Love it. So now that I've got that sense, let's talk a little bit about the third one because there was a lot of hands. One of the things that I'm very fascinated by is that I have a very interesting feeling in my stomach what just happened. One more time, third one, work in a company, raise your hands. So this one's very interesting to me as I look around and get the feeling because I believe that if you were here at this conference and you work at a company, you're in an interesting spot. (laughs) And let me tell you what that interesting spot is and I see this every day around the world, every part of the world that I go to. I believe in my heart that you know what's happening. I believe that you know what's happening. I believe that if your children's health was on the line, that you would spend the marketing dollars in a very different way. I feel that you're in a machine that forces you to justify your spending against reports or history or your boss's boss point of view that's driving what you say in every meeting but what you think in your head is completely different. And to me, this is the most fascinating thing because let me tell you why. I am a human being. So what's happened over the last five years is the brand managers and the CMOs and the people that I interact with have become my friends. I like them. You know, obviously I want to do business with them. Some move on, some you work with, but you become friends. It's human. And what's become very, very upsetting to me is some of them are very smart. They understand what to do, but they're just saying what they're supposed to say so they get a promotion or so they don't get fired. And what I keep trying to remind them and what's about to happen in the corporate landscape over the next five to seven years as this whole world changes is these companies are making you say certain things in the room based on the current rules when it's not gonna work over the next four to five years, they're gonna fire you for agreeing with it and that sucks. And so if I can leave you for now, now that I think about it, I always think about, huh, this is a long schlep. You know, obviously I'm very thankful for getting paid, but you know, I, I'm, I've got a lot of business to be running. And so obviously I'm here mainly because to be very honest, I'm here for a couple reasons. One, I love the swagger of the organizers and how they came at me. Two, <laughs> two. Two, and probably even a little bit more, I've just been dying to come here and and visit your amazing country and city, so thank you for having me. And then, and then, and that's why I wanna do Q&A, and then when I fly home tomorrow morning first thing, I'll really know why I came. It's gonna be one question, one answer, one feeling, but the one that's leading right now is if I can get one person in this room that is now, I realize, predominantly people that are employees, yet, again, if you're here, understand what's actually happening, if I can get one of you to have the courage, and I don't want to get anybody, I don't need anybody emailing me in four months saying, fuck you, Gary, I got fired. Not interested. (laughs) Not interested. Don't email me. I'm not, you live your life. But I'm going to give you a very good piece of advice. If you can figure out how respectfully, whether in the room, after work at drinks, at a holiday party, somewhere, some way, make sure everybody knows where you stand in your head on where the world is, not what you're saying to appease the machine because it's going to be that one conversation with that one person that gives you an opportunity three or four or five years from now and you have to be historically correct. I am very proud 
that I've built VaynerMedia from zero to 130 million in six years. I just want you all to understand, Romania, I could have built VaynerMedia from zero to 400 million in the last six years, but I refuse at all costs to not be historically correct. Being historically correct is the biggest ROI in life, let alone business. And I know, again, by those hands and by what's actually going on in the world at this moment, that so many of you are being put in a position to be historically incorrect at a very difficult time in where you are in your careers and you will curtail your upside. So please, if you believe something, figure out how to communicate it properly, respectfully, because it is the biggest asset you have. Your points of view, your thoughts, your ideas, your passions in what's actually happening. Because I promise you, I promise you, I know most of you do not believe in the majority of what you're spending your advertising on. It's just what's happening. You can't be a common sense individual. You can't have half a brain and believe in what's actually happening right now. We are living through the greatest era of wasted money in marketing ever because we're in the decline of traditional, in the rise of digital, 80% of the digital assets are complete fucking garbage because nobody here wants to go to a website, look on the right side, scroll down, and look at the banner ad on the right. Nobody here went to go see that YouTube video of somebody skiing and was excited about watching a car pre-roll run for the first 13 seconds. Nobody consumed that. We do not talk enough about the actual impact of a CPM on the brand. There are brands that I no longer buy because they bother me so much digitally and steal my time when I'm on my mobile device. Let me tell you what's the worst thing in the world. A pop-up, a mobile pop-up on a cell phone. It takes up the entire screen. The fucking X is this small. (laughs) I try to exit, but of course you fucking hit the ad by accident. Back home at the brand and the agency, they're like, yeah, 2% click-through. <laughs> meanwhile, meanwhile, every time I click those ads, I literally mentally say, <laughs> thank you, I mentally say to myself, I am never buying that sneaker brand again. And so we're having a very undereducated conversation around marketing. We have two factions. We have the traditional, in a couple weeks I'm gonna go to Cannes, right, and I'm gonna wanna shoot myself in the head because it's thousands of people who just dream about the video and think it's the greatest thing and this fucking statue is their life and it didn't sell any fucking product, assholes. (laughs) And then, a week later, I'll go to Silicon Valley and check in on some of my startups and these startups and all it is is math nerds who think all of marketing is math Let me just tell you math nerds real quick. Let me tell the camera. Math nerds, if marketing was math, it would be over by now. It's not fucking math. (laughs) So, what we need to do in marketing is we need to take the best of both worlds. We need the art assholes in Cannes and the math assholes in Silicon Valley to have sex and have a child. And that's what I think about every day. For me, marketing is very simple. 
it comes down to what am I trying to accomplish? Am I trying to sell this sneaker? Am I trying to raise money for a cause? Am I trying to get somebody elected? What am I trying to do? What, what is my goal? And to me, when that becomes a thing, that becomes the KPI, not the weekly reporting that is mapped. Guys, Google is the toll booth of the internet. It gets all the extra credit that it does not deserve because of consumers' behavior. You may see a billboard outside that makes you go to Google because that's your search behavior to get to the website and it gets the credit. Last touch attribution for all the people that are in this is such a horseshit metric. Yet we trade on it. CPM cost being the reason you do something is insane. When the hell was the cost of something the direct attribution to its value? Never. And so, we are in a very interesting time. Meanwhile, $80 billion in the US is poured into television ads. When I looked at the data coming to Romania, the amount of dollars still spent traditionally is very high. There's nobody, there's nobody on earth who's watching television commercials. Guys, they don't exist. Even your fucking 90-year-old grandma, when the commercial comes on, she grabs her cell phone and texts you, honey, I miss you. It's true. The attention, the attention is what matters. Can you honestly tell me that the people that you're trying to reach in this great country or the surrounding countries to sell your product, do you actually think they're paying attention to a commercial? Do you think billboards globally, outdoor media's cost in the last four years is up 12% globally, up. Meanwhile, every passenger in every car in the world no longer looks outside. There's not a single passenger in any vehicle that looks outside. Every person here, if they're a passenger or take public transportation on the way home today, will not give a view to an outdoor piece of content that they would have 20 years ago, because they would have looked out, they would have been like, oh, Gary was amazing, oh, look, a brand. You know, now, they're here, 24-7, and to be very honest, I don't know if you've noticed, even the drivers are paying attention to this. (laughs) It's never been scarier to drive. And so, I just am fascinated and I'm so grateful and I, and, I, and I remind people here who've been in the game a little bit or for people that are quite young and just starting out, we are very lucky. This is a very specific time. Again, globally, the 1950s to 2015, 65 years globally, every market's different. Obviously, I'm very familiar with the Soviet regimes and different things, but globally, for 65 years, print radio television direct mail outdoor, like very consistent. You didn't have to be a rocket scientist. Very easy to go to school and figure it out. Storytelling had been figured out. Go look, you know what's very fun? Go to YouTube and type in the first television commercials. The first 100 television commercials were actually radio ads because we just came from radio. The first 100 television ads was a picture like that and a man standing behind it and reading a radio ad. We as marketers, as business people, hadn't figured out how to use the medium yet. That's what's happening on Facebook right now. Facebook is the greatest marketing tool that the world has ever seen. Right now, when I looked at the cost of advertising here, because I knew I was coming, the Facebook awareness, the Facebook ad product in this country is so grossly underpriced compared to the alternatives, it is staggering. I opened an office in London because of Europe's collective massive underpricing of the Facebook marketplace. You know what's what's really good, kids, when you get a little older and start losing a little hair? 
you see patterns. This is what happened in Google. When I looked at Google in 2004, when I came to be on a wine buying trip, I went to go run some ads while I was in Bordeaux for Wine Library, but I didn't realize, because it was late, two o'clock in the morning, I was in the French ad product, and when I went to go place ads, they were so inexpensive, I got excited. I didn't realize that I'd stumbled into, wait a minute, they are so much more underpriced here, because what's amazing about Facebook and Google that is not amazing about television, print, and CPM costs on digital media products is it's a real marketplace. Everything else has a bottom cost, which means it can be inflated for its value. The market is the market. So in Facebook and in Google, it's just the market. Whatever somebody's willing to pay becomes the next ceiling of price. Right now, the far majority of people in this room and in this country are grossly underestimating the value of a Facebook ad. The truth is, a lot of people in this room have opinions on Facebook ads, but they've never run a Facebook ad campaign. There's a lot of talking and not a lot of doing. Or you did it once and you made your decision without any variations or really understanding what's happening. So Facebook ads are massively underpriced to reach the end consumer here, massively by the way, But what's more important is, what are you gonna say once you get in front of them? What's the picture? What's the video? And that is where the new art form is being defined. The new battle for the people that go to France for awards will be played in the one, two, three, four, five, six minute videos on Facebook. No longer confined to the 30 seconds or 15 seconds of a TV ad, long form video on Facebook Many people here, when they think about social media marketing or Facebook videos, they think it should be short. All the action is in long. If you actually have somebody stay for two minutes and 18 seconds, you can sell them. You can't get as many people to stay, but I'd much rather have 70,000 people watch two minutes and 18 seconds than have seven million people watch four seconds, right? And so I am very excited for all the creatives here the people that want to story tell because the next three to five years, this group of individuals, we, us, who are in the game today, are going to define what a Facebook commercial is. And I promise you, it will not feel like a television commercial. It will not feel like a branded video. It will feel like a sitcom or a documentary or a music video. It will be something that people want to watch because unlike television, Facebook gives us feedback and we can see if people like it or not. And we will adjust to that, and that will be the battle frontier. The two frontiers for the winners in this room are going to be Facebook long-form video and influencer marketing on Instagram and other platforms. I promise you, when I come back here in three years and we do an update, that the six of you that actually went on the offense on Facebook advertising and creative and on influencer marketing will win. That is where the dollars will shift over the next five years. There'll be plenty of money. You're gonna say, but in this country, but my clients, I get it, fuck you. (laughs) It's gonna happen. It's not gonna happen tomorrow. The most progressive brands in America are still holding on to their dear television or banner ads, not because they believe in it, but because the media holding companies are selling it, and the media holding companies are selling it because that's where their profit margin is in. But this is what always happens. This is not my opinion, this is just data. Last year, 97%
of the Fortune 500 CPG brands in the world declined in market share because they are not marketing to the reality of 2017. And so the stakes are high and this plays through for entrepreneurship as well. If you're a startup, your opportunity has never been greater. Your competitors have a lot more money than you. They're much further along than you. Let me remind you, all you startups, why guys like me and you and gals like you are gonna win. Because big companies get really fucking stupid. And even slower. And your advantage is speed and actually dealing in reality. And so the framework of our attention, these eyes and these ears, wait till you see what happens with the emergence of podcasts in this country over the next three to four years. Right now, a blip on the screen, but the number one reason Uber became a monster company is because it sells time. The number one thing that everybody in this room values besides health and money is time. And what voice does, Alexa voice podcasts, is it saves you time. Sound is a time saver in many situations. And I believe that sound, both in podcasts and in the future Alexa voice Google Home, smart home voice activated is gonna emerge over the next decade as well. And I implore you to become smart about that because I believe being one of the first things that you listen to in the morning from Alexa Voice five years from now is like being the first organic result for your business on Google 15 years ago. It is a battleground of attention. It is open property. It's whoever's smart enough and hungry enough to go learn it, build an Alexa skill, market it, and emerge as a leader in that attention. My friends, attention arbitrage. Where is the actual attention? What's the bullshit metrics that make people waste money? What's the politics, the bosses, the infrastructure that makes people waste big dollars? And where's your opportunity to strike? If you were able to understand that framework and religion, the upside of your career, happiness, and ability to communicate becomes maximized and good news. In the 20 years that I've been marketing, there's been two eras. The Google era, which was really 1999, 2000, 2001, it was really 2001 to 2004 when it was so underpriced. Let me give you a couple of companies that were the biggest spenders on Google in the early Google era. Amazon, eBay, these are the companies that won. How many people here are familiar with Wish, the shopping app? Raise your hands, let me just see. There's a company called Wish. If you open your Apple store right now, it's one of the top 150 apps, it's a shopping app. This company has gone from zero to $2 billion in retail sales in the last five years on 100% the back of Facebook. This is now the Facebook era. It's Facebook and Instagram. It is unbelievable scale and ridiculously underpriced. And in this little window, companies like Wish and other things will be talked about. In the 20 years that I've spent religiously, 15 hours a day, trading attention, there's only been two moments like this. Google, and we're in one right now. I implore you to not look back at the speech that I gave here as when you heard about it, but you didn't do anything about it, and you're gonna have to wait another seven to 10 years for another era. So I beg you, I beg you to take advantage of this phenomenal conference and go do something about it tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. So I think this is probably on, right? Is this on?
It's good. Yep. Hello. Yeah. Nice. Anybody got a question? You guys ready? Let's do it. Hey, Gary. How are you? you can you hear me? Yeah, you can. Amazingly. What's your name? Uh, Uros. Uros. I'm from Slovenia. Very nice. And uh, I have a question. Actually, I totally agree with you. You are saying all the time that we need to uh, deliver value, more value that we we ask in return. Let's say money in this case. Yeah. Right. Or, or attention, right? Mm -hmm. you're, you're asking for 15 seconds of my time. Mm -hmm. I fucking want my 15 seconds, okay. right? Uh -huh. So what are you gonna put in front of me? So you're absolutely right. It's a value exchange in life always. Uh -huh. And as business marketers and brands, that's right. That is my religion, 5149. I'm gonna give you more uh -huh. than I ask for in return. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but like, if you're in a market yes. where people don't value what you do. Then you're much, deep shit. Yeah, I know, but listen <laughs> to me. Everybody needs it, it's marketing basically. It's creating content. Everybody needs content, but people don't realize how much they need it. They, like, you know what I'm, what I'm talking about. The thing is, how... You guys leaving? <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go? Thanks for coming. All right. Okay. I'm gonna give you a very good piece of advice. It's the number one reason, so don't forget, uh -huh. and this is probably where we have a kinship, uh -huh. I've been selling stuff nobody wants my whole life, uh -huh. right? The way I built the wine business, everybody in America was already big on Bordeaux, Italy, and California. I sold mainly Australia, New Zealand, Spain, Croatian wines. I was going all over the world, and so the number one thing, if you're telling me that people aren't putting enough value on the creative, mm -hmm. the number one thing I can tell you is don't sell to the unsellable. Yeah. What I would do if I were you is I would literally, in this whole room, are you interested in what you do? No, 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 kinda. Okay, you have a talk? No, okay, no, 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 no. To me, the key is there are people that value it. You just need to cast a very wide net when you're selling something that you perceive is not valued enough. And instead of being emotional and trying to convince him and spend two days, yeah. three weeks, a month convincing him, fuck him and go to the next person. All right. Cheers, and because... Yeah. <laughs> but you, you understand? Yeah, I know, I like, know. I've watched it I mean, my whole life. Like, trying to sell to somebody who's already not sellable uh -huh. is where leaders well, or pioneers get killed. Yeah. I was actually trying to ask, like, how do you motivate then your team who, has, who doesn't think like that and they don't have time to listen to you, let's say. So how do you motivate them when you can't... I make them have time to listen to me. All right. <laughs> okay. And number two, I, I instill it through my own confidence, uh -huh. and you try uh -huh. to figure out who's willing to come with you and who's not. All a right. lot of people struggle. Yeah. You know, you noticed how I said a little bit like, fuck, your client won't do it? I have that major problem. I took all, you know, my vlog, four or five episodes ago, you see 70 of them sitting in my tent, right? And I'm just killing them for six hours. Guys, your client saying no is not an excuse. Hmm. Like, that's just not an excuse. You know, like, you gotta convince them. We get paid to think, too. Not mm -hmm. just the output of our pictures and videos. Mm -hmm. And so, it's hard, man. It's not fun to sell something that isn't sellable, but if you end up being correct in the long term, it's mm -hmm. far more fruitful than succumbing to the current. But I would tell you to not spend time on people that say no, clients and employees. Thank you. You're welcome. And since I value your time. Yes. A bottle of wine from my yes. father. Very nice, thank you. <laughs> it's a bottle of rosé wine from Slovenia, from a small village. Thank you very we much. We don't sell it, we don't do anything with it, we just hide it for our friends and family and drink it with somebody you love. Thank you, my friend. going to make whatever for you. Thank Cheers. you. Thank you. Who's got it?
Okay, you're uh, dangerous. Thank you. Thanks. Hi, Gary. Hi, what's your name? My name is uh, Eugene. I'm from Ukraine, Very nice. which is close to Belarus. It we sure even speak is. the same uh, language. Yes, we do. Yeah, and uh, three years ago, I, I read your book, Russian, and I, I quit my job. Okay. And, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and I became and I became entrepreneur. And this is the bad thing which happens in my life. So thanks, thanks a lot. You're welcome. But I have a very specific question. Sure. Uh, I've seen you start to do fitness a lot. Yes. And few things you said that uh, if you would spend your time except for the work, you would do more for health and yes. uh, wellness. Of course. So the question is, uh, if you would do, and maybe you're already doing, entering the fitness industry, which is huge in U.S. and over the world, what you would do? What would be the, your uh, steps? So I think, I think the thing that I'd probably think a lot about is when I look at, the, uh, so I'm not in the health and wellness or fitness industry, personally. We work with a couple of them. I've looked at it. As a, as a consumer, probably, maybe you have yeah. some insight. Oh, and by the way, I have some insight into it from a business lens that I'll give, you, I'll give you a very good answer. I would very much triple down on AI. The amount of opportunity in fitness specifically around AI, because so much is information and so much of the overhead of deploying information is held in humans that is commoditized. If I was to bet right now on a big opportunity within fitness and just a big opportunity inside of information, AI is gonna eat up so much opportunity. So I would think about a lot about message bots, uh, voice, like how do you deploy the information in a way that's more consumable? Do you know Peloton, the bike company? Um, no. I see some people shaking their head. It's a bike that has a big screen, and instead of going to the studios that have become so popular and doing biking, okay. they created, you know, in essence, the operating system, right? They can keep changing the content, and with a very simple, you know, technology shift, they built a billion-dollar business. I think message bots in the new environment, things of that nature, an app that's automated. I think I would really look at what's going on in AI and augmented the information at scale because there's so much that's being traded on information in that space and it's so inefficient in the technologies that are now at our fingertips. Okay, thank you. You got it. Why don't you pass it to somebody? Okay. I like the underhand. <laughs> okay, sorry. No problem. You got you got to look it up. What what you did with Drock? Who is coming in New York? Drock. Yeah. Oh, where is Drock? Drock, where is Drock? <laughs> where is Drock? I love him. Oh, there you are, Drock. Let's Hello. hear it up for Drock. Hello, Drock. <laughs> so, I would like to ask you, what are What's the your name? Spiros, I'm from Greece. How are you? Oh, everything okay. Thank you. I love you. I love I you love too. You. Okay. Thank <laughs> you. Okay, so I would like to ask you, what are the top three skills that a young man like me, 23 years old, need to focus, really focus, not the bullshit, okay? No. <laughs> the number one thing you need more than anything is patience. I know, I know, I know. It is. It's, it's, it's right, right? The number one threat, I mean, I know you know, you just don't want to deploy it. True. The end. I mean, I can give you two other bullshit ones, but I promise you, the things that work are very simple. Patience, for anybody, how many people under 30? Raise your hands. Fuck, it, it, listen. <laughs> if, if I could give you guys, you know, if I could tell you one thing, and I, I'm looking around and seeing the other people, and how many people over 45? What every one of, you know, with all the, them would tell you is if you understood how young we still feel, you feel the same. 
You feel this, I, I'm 41 and I feel exactly the same that I did at 22. Same fire, same energy, same hunger, same opportunity. I'm just wiser, more experienced, I've seen things. If I could tell you what it felt like to be 41, you would become dramatically more patient. If you became more patient, you would become more successful. Because when you're patient, you do things that are tried and true and you don't take the shortcuts that lead to problems. The other thing I would say is self-awareness. I think the biggest thing that I wish on everybody is self-awareness because if you know yourself, you know the biggest problem I have with the current world is everybody thinks they're an entrepreneur because it's cool. <laughs> everybody has decided that they're a founder and so there'll be a lot of people who start terrible companies and will fail who could have gone and got great jobs and ended up being number five, number 11, number 13 in a great company and had a great life but instead are gonna be number one of shit, have to start at 27 all over, have a loss, a scarlet letter, right? Have the depression that comes along with a loss. So I would say patience and self-awareness. And then third, it's the biggest thing that you have right now, which you have time. And so what I would do at that time is I would fucking work, right? Like I'm, you know, ultimately if you deploy number two and know yourself, You'll know how big or how medium or how decent you want your career to work out. But the thing that has fascinated me is how many people's actions don't back up what their mouth is saying. All these people telling me that they're going to be millionaires and billionaires and they don't work any weekend. No action takers, no. You know, so they're all, they're, they're, you know, listen, you follow my stuff. I didn't, I didn't give you anything you haven't heard before. But the big one's patience. Because I know 23-year-old dudes that live in Greece that are willing to schlep here, they're hungry. And balancing hunger with patience is an extremely difficult thing to do. But you know I'm not giving you advice from a high horse. I put my head down from 22 to 33 years old before I talked to anybody and actually built a business first, worked 18 hours a day in a liquor store, and then came out and started doing other stuff. So I've eaten that shit, that patience, it's shit. You know what patience tastes like? Shit. <laughs> but it is the number one formula to success. Okay. Something else I don't understand. Go ahead. This, this day. Yes. Everyone is talking about podcast, about sound, about all these things. So tell me, I know that you have a podcast, okay? You are trying to, for personal development, marketing, everything. How a brand can make a podcast? Brand How Coca-Cola can make a podcast? Easy. Coca-Cola needs to make a podcast, and what they need to do is instead of spending eight trillion dollars being the sponsor of the World Cup, mm -hmm. they need to spend 10 million dollars getting the three best soccer football personalities in the world to be the host of their show, and they become ESPN or CNN or CNBC. Like, you need to become the media company when you are the brand. So Coca-Cola should have the number one football podcast in the world, and then all that attention goes to Coca-Cola. So you, have, you, have to shift, you have to shift and become a media company. And that's what I'm doing. I'm not necessarily Gary Vee. I'm trying to be Wall Street Journal, Fortune, Fast Company, Inc. You know, that's what, what my strategy is. Okay. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You. Who's got a question? Hey, Gary. Hello. My name, my Don't worry. I'm, I've got some serious time. We're in good shape. Okay, cool. You guys um, interested in a long Q&A? Yeah. Okay, Go ahead, my friend. Yeah. My name is Tien. Tien. Um, I have, you, you talk a lot about work ethics, how yes. you, you gotta work hard to get things done. Yes. But 
I feel like I've got the next big idea, but then I, there's simply not enough time for one person to get everything done in the time that matters. So like, what, do you, what advice do you have for me to like, where do I look for like-minded people to start kicking ass? Yeah, so what, do you lo- so what are you looking, f- when you say like-minded people, are you looking for developers? Are you looking for a project leads? Like what are the assets you need those like-minded people like, and skills that they have to bring? Like I have an idea that uh, I can fund it on the first phase. Yep. So I got money to hire people. Yep. It's just that I don't know where to look for the best talents to that fits each category. Okay. Like I need the developers, I need the project managers, and I need the social media guys or girls. Yep. And I just, n- I just don't yeah. know where to look at. I'm gonna give you a great idea. Cool. So there's a website. <laughs> you know where I'm uh-huh. going, right? <laughs> the best part about my fans is they know what I'm saying before I say it. Because I believe in the same shit over and over. My man, if you have the next big idea and you're not capable of going to Google and finding your people, you don't have the next big idea. All right, then. Do you understand? It's execution. So, so finding, finding developers or these people literally is Google. Like, do you live here or where, where do you? Like, yeah, I live in Romania now. Literally, you, like, literally, if today was my first day mm-hmm. living in this country, I would just go to Google and type in Romanian developers and I would spend four hours clicking different websites and finding shit. Like, it's so easy to find. Fine, if there's not enough skilled developers in Romania, which I don't believe. But, But by the way, let's say you're all wrong and she's right. Here's good news, here's good news. You don't need a developer to be here to work with them. So whether you find them in, there's unlimited platforms right, to find individuals, it's called the internet. Literally, it is Google. No, really, I, I know it's a, you know what, sometimes you just need to hear it this way, right? Like, there's, there's developers anywhere. Let me give you another one, let me give you another one. Go to AngelList, right? Do you know what that is? Yeah. Great. Go to every one of those founders and VCs and cold email them and say, hey bro, I'm me. I'm trying to start this company. I need development and project management help. Let me tell you what's gonna happen. You're gonna spend five and a half hours emailing 800 people and only two of them are gonna reply. The good news is they're gonna send you in the right direction. If you emailed me at Gary at VaynerMedia, right, and said I need development help, I would send you to six people that I know have outsourced teams in Ecuador, in India, in other parts of the world. Like, my friends, not knowing where to find it, not finding like-minded people, there's not enough talent in this country, this town, these are just fucking excuses. It's what it is. All right, done with excuses. It, it is, listen, you, you, we live in a world today, nice, we live in a, you really screwed that nice lady. Do you want to send it back and then we'll go back to you, yeah. <laughs> um, my friend, it's, it's, one second, it's there. You just gotta go hunt for it. Listen, we all have strengths and weaknesses, right? Like putting together the team, that's new for you. You're a young man, but it's out there. Email people for help, find individuals. Like I went on Twitter and searched the hashtag to this event and saw a lot of people that were talking about this event and when I looked at their profile, the people in this room are some of the people that can help you get to the talent you're looking for. You need to get out of the roadblock of that I can't find it and you need to just go and find it. Cool, Thanks. you got it. Hey. Thank you. You're welcome. My name is Ekaterina. How are you? I'm from Bulgaria. Very nice. I'm fine and I'm very glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, 
I would like to continue with the previous question. Okay. Uh, you talk about your company as a honey empire. Yes. So how you choose your leaders and how you control to keep your focus and your value, to follow your values? Sure. So, so for some of, thank you for knowing that. That means you're paying attention. I've coined a phrase in, in my company called honey empire. It maps what my ambition is, which is I want to build a multi-billion dollar organization and kill everybody and put everybody out of business and you know, <laughs> like that's, that's business, right? That's the game. But I want to do it in a honey way, honey over vinegar. Internally, it's very important to me that everybody gets along, not because I'm Mother Teresa, but because I believe that when people get along, you go faster. When there's less politics, you're spending more time on doing and not sitting at your desk debating why Karen is trying to ruin you, right? And so the, the way I, so it, is, it has always been my belief. It's the biggest way that I turned my family business and grew it so greatly. So many people here can be empathetic to this. I walked into a, my dad's store and he was running it like Soviet Russia, right? He was running it where he didn't trust his employees, he didn't like his employees, like again, like a lot of people may know here, you know, in a communist environment, everything is black market, and you don't trust, and that's what it was, and then when I came in, it's not my natural demeanor, I flipped it, and I saw the benefits very quickly, and it's been, and in general, I just like positivity, I'm crippled by negativity. So, for me, a couple things. When I pick leaders, I talk to them up front and say, listen, you could be the greatest chief creative officer of all time, of all time. You could make the 50 greatest ads of all time, but if you're an asshole, you're gonna get fired, right? And I say this, and, I, and listen, some people are leaving big jobs, big, and, I, and I emotionally say, listen to me, you could get fired in four months, and it's gonna look awkward on your resume, and you're gonna have to always explain it. Please believe me when I tell you, because I know you've gone to other places, and they tell you it matters, but what really matters is the money, right? And for me, because I'm the best at making the money, I don't need you, right? So you need to be that. And so what I do is I do that with everybody, and then I don't go through some big test or some process, I go on intuition, and then if they deliver, mazel tov, and if they don't, I fire them. And so the way I'm able to keep it is my actions have to back up my words. So over the last six years, I fired somebody recently who was a very senior hire who barely worked for us. Like, he was there for 40 seconds. <laughs> but it didn't work, and then I'm empathetic and I gave him a six-month severance because I felt like it really disrupted his life. So it's not about the dollars, but you can't fuck with my culture. So it's about setting the bar, but your answers, the answer to your question is very simple. You have to back up your words. If I talked a nice game and Honey Empire and da-da-da, but back home it was poison, I'd be finished. So I just, I just really, really try. Now, at the same token, you have to audit and really make sure you know, you know you're not just jumping to one person saying they're bad because they might be undermined. It's a lot of work to figure out, you're right, and sometimes you have to make a judgment call. But I spend more time on HR than anything else I do. More than sales, more than being Gary V, more than selling, more than anything, more than the product services, the majority of my time is spent on HR. This, I landed here, I took a two hour nap right now, I woke up, for the 30 minutes before I got here, it was all HR. This person this, this person's feelings that, this person's mother passed away, which is devastating, like what are we gonna do? Like all HR, 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 
The world is human. The people are the game. So actions backing up the words. Because there's a lot of people who are good people and fucking awesome at what they do. Thank you. Uh, my name is Emmanuel. We'll get you next. Yeah. Hey, Emmanuel. Um, my company builds sports facilities, sports fields around the country. Very We've cool. done a few uh, projects outside. It's not the most uh, digital and sexy field. Um, most of our customers are seasoned entrepreneurs, big corporations, and quite a few mayors, which are uh, <laughs> over 45 yes. on average. So we do Google pretty good. Yes. We do Facebook and content and ads. Uh, uh, we do offline marketing, online marketing. We're better than our, all our competitors, but we are not using uh, half of the platforms you have behind, behind you on the screen, so. Well, you definitely don't have to use Snapchat because it's not happening here yet at, that's at that age group and decision maker. Yeah, uh, we were thinking of Instagram, but kids are using Instagram here, and if we're doing a lot of effort to promote on Instagram, we would be promoting to kids who would never buy. I uh, understand. What is your recommendation? What, what should we do to, to take advantage of, to, it, to do more? Right, so if I was looking at your business from what I've heard so far, a couple things stand out. One, this is just general advice for everybody. Make sure you don't position anything too deeply into kids because in 12 or 24 months, it becomes older and you wanna have a foot in that door, so I would tell you Instagram is at this point worth your while because I looked at Instagram's data here and it's aging up very, very, very quickly. And I would predict in 24 months it's a main player and so the same, if you like what's happening for you on Facebook, it's something to consider doing a little, just making sure you're there, just a presence. Uh, but here's what I would do. I would probably use Facebook very aggressively against the advertising capability of employees of organizations or against individuals that you know you're targeting. And what I would do if I were you actually is I would go into the events business. Let me explain what I mean by that. Based on what I'm hearing from you, I would probably use social media and digital advertising and heck, above the line traditional advertising <coughs> as a gateway drug to private dinners and mini conferences. What I love about B2B businesses, especially when it's big decisions, big dollars, small groups of people, is I wanna get them in. So for me, the wine tasting or conference that looked like this for all the mayors and entrepreneurs and business people, once a quarter, once a year, using, one of the things we've done for very big B2B plays that are more infrastructure plays like that, is we've used Facebook to create, to be an invitation to a very premium event, got them there, and you know, after a little bit of rose from Slovenia, you know, it's, it's more a, open to <laughs> Alcohol so, is an incredible gateway drug to a big deal. So you mean use it just just as a, just as a way to get in contact with them, to get in touch with them? And back to the great statement that was said here, if you're offering them an exclusive first 25 people that register, go to this wonderful place with this wonderful meal, with this wonderful event or speaker or performance, they just come in droves and we've been able to very successfully because of Facebook ads underpriced, we've been able to get small private events. We're selling five, 10, 15 million dollar apartments on Facebook by targeting high net worth individuals, inviting them to high end dinners and then, and, then, and then the company takes over and closes two or three does, of them. Does this happen only locally like in their cities or do you call them into a different city like a few hundred kilometers away? So I would tell you that it depends on the creative of the evening, right? 
if you get the most famous fucking person on earth, people will go anywhere, right? Yeah. So I think you have to map what are you offering them, right? If it, you know, if you're, if you're pouring 1982 first growth Bordeaux, they may go a little further, you know? I think you've got to figure out what the value prop is compared to the distance and make it worth their while to come. It's just a value exchange. 5149, if you create, but what's really great is you could go big. I like small. I like the eight-person dinner series once every two weeks. Get them into your confine. Bring them value. You know those mayors, those entrepreneurs, they have similar themes and things they care about. Bring content or a speaker or a performance or information that's valuable to them holistically. Not even, even if it's about tax reform, has nothing to do with your stadium building, but you brought them value, you're the host, you're there, and away you go. Okay, one more short question. Sure. Uh, like on Instagram, yes. what we what we do on Facebook, mostly we promote the beautiful projects that we build, sure. which is, you know. Do you do that in video form? Yes. Great. We do that also. What would, what would, what would we do on uh, Instagram? Should we just put beautiful pictures of our beautiful proje projects or that would be too boring and people wouldn't follow us? My intuition is that you're way, 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 way better off going after the first thing we just talked about. Put your energy and dollars into that. Let Instagram get a little older. I would create an account and start, you know, there's a carousel product now. Yeah, so we're using that on Facebook. Great. So if you, have, if you have a four minute video, you can chop that up, right, into four one minute videos on the carousel ad. I've been playing with that. I like the results that I'm seeing, so I would do that. But I want you to just set a presence on Instagram for when they all come, just so you're used to it and ready and the algorithm likes you. But I would put a lot of effort into real life interaction. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Let's get it to this guy over here. Nice. Hi, Gary. Sports, uh, you know. Uh, my name is Vasily. I'm Vasily. 22 years old. Very I'm nice. from Russia, but I lived uh, in U.S. for the past six years, and I graduated from university in U.S. Very nice. I want to say uh, thank you so much for all your content. I've been watching you since September 2016. Thank you. And every single day, I watch Daily V, Ask Gary V Show. I'm very active on 60 Second Club, too. Thank I hadn't, you. hadn't had a chance to win <laughs> to yet. To win yet. <laughs> but... Uh, Definitely all your support, all your advice helped me to grow uh, my business. I uh, became Fiverr top rated seller and also with my friend, I was able with your recommendation to draw influencers. We were able to generate $100,000 in two months on e-commerce, only with influencers. So your strategy. I, I want to make sure everybody heard that. The absolute best trade besides Facebook ads in the world are influencers on Instagram, I assume? Yes, Instagram. Guys, DMing people on Instagram who fit the profile of bringing awareness to your products and services is, I mean, tell them, like, how, yeah, how ridiculous. Yeah, we, I mean, we DM 325 people, and the uh, US was very overpriced. We went outside a little bit. The prices were much lower, and uh, the higher, uh, the lower, like 10,000, 20,000 followers are underpriced, so we use them, and we got about 40, 50 influencers out of 325 we DM'd, and this just... What, did you pay them? We paid them the fee, yeah. We paid how, them. How much do you think you paid for those? Uh, it was, depends. Some of them we were able to get for $200, and they had like uh, almost 2 million followers, and that's converted to like $700 value for our e-commerce. So yeah. how much did you spend overall on them? We spent overall uh, around 20% of the, those $100,000. So you spent $20,000? Yes to drive people to an e-commerce site that generated $100,000 in sales. Correct. Cool.
And my, my question and, is... And one more time, that was the first time you had even, even tried that, right? Uh, I've tried before. I'm on the Fiverr. I'm doing Instagram marketing, but I haven't really got that depth. But since I was listening to you every single conference, you talk about influencers. <laughs> I've been literally with my friend who sat there and made a plan and start DMing every single person, and it's paid in the long term. So I it's... It. Cool. Go ahead. I, have a, I have a question. Um, so my question is, as being an entrepreneur and start hiring at people, yeah. and uh, for example, if I start hire older people than me, does it, could it bring a negative uh, impact because I'm young? No. Uh, do you recommend to build also a younger team? Maybe? Sure. Or <laughs> okay. It's, it's, it's not super different than the answer I gave you, which is, there's some 42-year-old people that would not like working for you because you're 22, but I, I have good news. It's, you know, it's a new day now. You're not forcing them to work for you, right? So yes. they said yes in the first place, which means 80% likely that they were already okay with it other than they desperately needed a job. So for me, whether you build with 16-year-olds or you build with 44-year-olds, number one, I don't assume that 20-year-olds get social media marketing better than a 40-year-old. Some 20-year-olds, I, I think that they're more native to it because it's all they live on, but that doesn't mean they're better marketers or operators. There's plenty of, like, I'm 41 years old and I think I'm the best in the world at it, right? So I don't, I don't think age is the proxy. I think it's the DNA of the person. You just have to try. I don't think there's a good piece of advice other than don't be crippled by who you hire. Make sure that when it doesn't work that you're good at firing. Everybody takes so much pride in how good they are at hiring, it's very hard. I have a lot of intuitive skills, it's what I trade on, my EQ is everything I've got, and I have hired so many assholes, and I have fucked up so many times, it's embarrassing. The key is not having pride when you made a mistake, and being able to move on and doing the right thing by them so they can go on with their career, but, not, but also doing the right thing, which is your number one responsibility for your business. Yeah, thank you so much. You're and. Also, for example, for now, do you think it's a good idea to travel to other events, hear speakers? For example, I'm planning to attend other events and potentially your events, like in Hong Kong, and you'll be speaking in Frankfurt. Do you recommend to invest my time and be able it, to? It depends on what kind of learner you are. So in my 20s and 30s, I went to this many conferences. But it doesn't mean that I'm right or wrong. It means that there was a reason that I didn't do well in school. I don't learn by listening. I only learn by doing. So I, I deployed self-awareness, and I decided not to read business books, not to go to conferences and lectures. I just did. Did, did, did. So, but if you feel like you get value out of it, it's just value exchange. If you feel like you You know what the best part of a conference is? This. The number one ROI of this conference for all of you is the people that have courage here and say hello to the other people here. The relationships are the ROI. Like-minded people in the game, like as fun as this is, and I'm sure some people have wanted to see me speak and I'm trying to do my best here to really bring it, I promise you saying hello to the person next to you and like if you wanna do me one huge favor as soon as I'm done here, say hello to two or three people, the business development opportunities are enormous. So I would go to Hong Kong and those places to biz dev, and if you learn this way, then of course. Anything that helps you learn and get better is great. We all have different ways, but you don't just do it because somebody told you to read books or go to conferences or somebody told you to just do. You need to know yourself. Thank you so much, Gary. Can I, can I shake your hand? Sure. Yes. <laughs> can you pass up? Here. Thank you.
My pleasure, man. Good luck to you. Give me this. I'll take it. All right, who's in? Thank you. Hi, Gary. Hi. Hi, everyone. I'm a bit nervous. Um, <laughs> What's so your name? My name's Stacy. Stacy. So um, I've travelled here from the UK because my friend Lena was uh, talking today. And um, how do you do? She. She. I'm sorry. She how'd she do? Fucking phenomenal. <laughs> awesome. Uh, we met actually online um, last year. I spent two thousand pounds. Sorry, last year I spent two thousand pounds on Facebook boosting. My videos are about twenty minutes long on Facebook Live uh, before it was trendy, and um, I reached multiple seven, uh, multiple six figures by the end of the year. That's awesome. Thank you. Um, my question to you is this: um, Obviously, a lot more people are doing videos, but I know I go on for quite a while in my videos. And lots of people watch me. I, I've recently featured in Forbes uh, because I help people do it via Facebook Live. How do I get them? How do I get more people instantly? Um, I, the conversion seems to be great, but I, I see your videos. I watch you all the time because of you. Actually, I went in onto video instead of like bothering with copy. Um, my question to you is, how can I get even bigger? beyond the, the, the boosting and the Facebook ads. Um, I actually contacted your team, I do events, people come from New Zealand just to meet me, like you said, for four hours. Um, what would be your tips from what I've just said? I think the two things that over-index are patience mm -hmm. <laughs> and quality, Okay. right? Like, like, I think one thing that a lot of us forget is when we're asking people to watch us, we have to be bringing value. And so not everybody is gonna build the biggest audiences in the world. So it's a balance between the quality of what you put out and patience. How long have you been doing it? Uh, for nearly over two years now. Right, so you've been in it. Yeah. It's what's built you a base. Yeah. But the truth is, do you know how many, my Instagram profile, my Instagram profile has gone from 400,000 to 1.8 million in the last six months, right? I've been putting out content on the internet for 10 years. And now, just now, it's starting to kind of happen at a bigger scale, right? And I'm really good at what I do. Mm -hmm. I think we forget how long of a game it is. I'm pumped that you said two years, because for a lot of people here who've been doing it for three months and have the same question, it's like, ooh, two years, right? Mm -hmm. But when I hear two years from you, I'm like, you're just starting, okay. right? And so the best thing you could do is change up your, your content okay. and try things that are different to see if you strike a chord in a different way. Okay. You know, I think, so one thing I had to get over was I, and this will be funny for a lot of you because a lot of you are newer fans, I am not in love with the motivational me because I'm scared about motivational content because so much motivational content in the world is fluff, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's not good. And so I'm much more proud of my tactical advice, right? The video I just made about DMing. Yeah. Like, like, I like, the, I like Q and A, because as you can see, I can answer stuff. I'm in it, right? The rah-rah stuff, but I had to get over the fact that in an Instagram world, those quotes and the motivational stuff, that would be the gateway to get you guys in. And then the podcast, or the reason I did Daily V is for you to see how much work it really is. And so you need to try a lot of different things to see what could actually be that boost. But the only thing that's gonna work is your content and patience. Okay, thank you very You're much. Welcome. Hey Gary. How are you? I'm good, how are you? Sensational. My name is Horia. Horia. Um, hey Dirac, can I get some branding please? Yeah, oh nice, get it. Um, I love it. <laughs> 
I'm hey. watching. I'm watching your videos for a long, long time. You got it, my man. Happy Not four years. <laughs> Not four years. <laughs> no worries. Go ahead. Um, so my family has a, a boutique hotel in in Transylvania. Interesting. Uh, I've been home for. I'm I'm in charge of the marketing for seven years. I've been ho home for four years working in the business, and um, I I believe that I got enough expertise to, and I want to put my business online, my personal business online, talking about the things that we learn in the business. And uh, I know you've done it. Yes. And I'm curious, uh, what would be the first step that you would take to put it online, the expertise? I would create the home for the content. So you need to decide, there's three ways to communicate. The written word, audio, and video. You need to decide even just by the way you said, hey, D-Rock, give me the branding. Like, if you can do video, which I think you could, you look solidly handsome to me. You've got Thanks. some charisma. It, are you up for video? Yeah. I would do video. Sure. I, would do, I would do a YouTube and a Facebook video strategy, mm -hmm. and I would start putting out content. Instagram as well, one-minute versions on Instagram, or if you want to use Carousel, long form on Facebook and YouTube, just start talking, interviewing other experts from the hotel industry if you want to go that narrow, or other p business experts from Romania or Transylvania if you want to go that narrow, if you want to go macro. But my man, go look at those first five or six episodes of Wine Library TV, or Ask Gary V, or Daily V. It gets better. You get better and better and better. And so don't be precious, just start. The first episode should be, let me tell you why I'm here. Here's my manifesto, here's my thesis. I want to tell the world what I've learned in the trenches over the last almost decade in my industry, in this interesting place that has other places in the world similar to it, different than it, blah, 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 blah. You know, that's what I would do. Awesome. You got it. One more question yes. for you. I know that everywhere you go in the world, you make meetups, and this is for everybody yes. here. Will you do one in Bucharest? So I promised my wife not to do meetups for a little while, so no. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. You can pass it anywhere. Oh, good. Awesome. Hi, Gary. Hey, man. I want to ask how many of you are out there in the world right now? Just one. Okay, so then. But I'm me, kidding. How many people? How would you crack a $600 billion industry? Like the when, one that you pitched? Yes. And when you know that three companies in the United States actually have a market valuation of $9 billion freaking dollars. Yes. And we are technically, technologically more advanced than them at this point, and we are barely scraping 50 million as of today. So what are you trying to get? Are you trying to get venture capital's attention? Well, not really. I want to mix. So if you, ch if you check out videos, online videos of products in this particular industry, all of them are fucking boring. Bullshit. I want to mix some of the knowledge I got from you today with a technology where, which not a lot of audience actually take care or take into consideration. So I know mix that somehow, yes. but still get to uh, the attention of the big boys and get the market Face valuation of Facebook the Facebook videos, man. I'm telling you, so guys, how many people here run Facebook videos? Uh, excuse me, Facebook advertising? Raise your hand. How many people here are spending, because I know some of you work for companies and I know for entrepreneurs this will be harder, but just for context, how many people here are spending $25,000 a month on Facebook ads? Raise your hands. So we're spending two, three, three hundred million dollars on Facebook ads. So the advantage we have is the dollars spent are giving me a lot of looks. My friends, there's a way to target on Facebook against employees of a company. So a lot of us have put a lot of data into Facebook. So for your ability to make a video, and you gotta keep trying making videos, because that's the magic. Creative is the variable of success. You can get in front of everybody in the world if what you say isn't, I got in front of you today. If this keynote sucked, 
I wouldn't have done anything that's valuable for me, right? Creative is the variable of success. So you gotta make videos, but the fact that you can then take that video and for $1,000 hit the employees of IBM, uh, you know, of, of any venture capital firm in the world, of your competitors, of the people that invested in other 3D printing companies or pharma companies, Johnson & Johnson, 3M, GE, you can literally take the video and run them against employees of. Those employees then forward that video to the decision makers within the organization. It is an incredible opportunity. That's what I would do. Thank you very much. How, uh, I mean, how would a company, a tech company, which are exactly that, geeks, uh, would attract attention to one guy in the world, which is you? I mean, just email me. It's Gary VaynerMedia. It's a so crapshoot. I'll be the 50, 50, 51st email of the I'll day. look for it. I will do. Awesome, Thank man. you. Pass it on behind you. Oh, very nice. Hi. Hi. Well, What's my question, name? Alexa. Alexa. Uh, it may be stupid, but my question is not about what to do. It's about what not to do. Okay. Uh, let me explain. Sure. Um, I'm sure you have lots of experiences, and I guess you maybe made some mistakes down the road, <laughs> and you learn from them. So. <laughs> Please, would you want to share with us um, a lesson you learned from a mistake in order for us to understand and to gain some ins sure. insight on what not to do in marketing or in business or in life in general? So, thank you, Alexa. Um, I think, um, first of all, let me give you the best answer to that question, which is the amount of time that I have spent thinking about my mistakes is all of them combined. And by the way, Alexa, I've made a lot. <laughs> Uh, is probably less than one hour. Okay. So the first thing I would tell you is I am fascinated by people's ability to dwell on dumb shit. It already happened. I already fucked up, Alexa. Like, like, it's like, like of course I'm trying to learn from it, but I would say, so my biggest, my biggest consistent flaw is I think I can do everything. Got it? So my biggest consistent mistake has been trying to do too much at once because I just think I can. And, and usually things will fall if you're trying to balance too many things. So the thing I've learned, it's why I did VaynerMedia. After doing a lot of stuff, I was in Wine Library, then I wrote Crush It, my career changed, I invested, my career changed, and I started doing a lot of things and I realized, wait a minute, I like being an operator. Let me sink my teeth into one main thing. Let me have one main thing that is 80% of me, and then I can play with the other 20%, and that will never crush me because my 80 is gonna act like 110%, and that lets me play and be an entrepreneur, but I've got my thing. So for me, that's the biggest thing I learned, and it's something for everybody. You know, If you've got four businesses right now, you've got no businesses, right? Um, but I think, you know, but I do, I will tell you, Alexa, the better piece of advice I can give, because I think people talk a lot about learning from their mistakes, unlimited content. I wanna talk more about disrespecting your mistakes. I think we overly respect our mistakes. I think we spend way too much time on them. I think we dwell on them. We worry what other people think about them. And I think mistakes are much more damage in the way we consume it in our own heads than the mistake in itself. And so for me, fuck my mistakes. That's great advice, thank you. You're welcome. Pass it on. Hi. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna, I'm gonna mix, you'll pass it to me after, I'll mix it up and go deep. So you do a lot of things, uh, Gary Vee and the business and everything. How do you balance uh, Gary the husband and Gary Vee? So work-life balance is no question the one that 
takes the most mind time, it all comes down to communication. You know, I think one of the things that I spend a lot of time on is not being crippled by the modern politically correct way that you should be spending time with your family or spouse. So for me, as you guys may know, when you come from a, you know, a hardcore Eastern European work ethic immigrant background, I didn't even see my father until I was 14 years old. And we have the best relationship and I love him and I know you can make it work if that's the case. Now, I don't assume that that's gonna work for my kids. I just know that that's worked for me. My wife, her dad was a very successful corporate America marketer and he traveled all the time and she's also comfortable. She's an amazingly independent woman, uh, so much so I'm curious if she still likes me. You know, she's, you know, so she, you know, for us, it's been very easy. It's called communication. We just talk a lot about how much I work and how much I travel. And for us, what's worked is weekends and vacations, right? I'm much more all in than I was two, three years ago on the weekend, and I'm taking seven weeks vacation instead of two weeks vacation. And in that, for now, it's working, right? My kids are now seven and four. They're getting older. I can see where this is gonna break soon, and that's okay by me. Um, but at the same token, if I'm not happy, then the whole thing breaks. I'm not trying to live my life based on what you think I should be doing. Because I know politically correct parenting and husband and wife changes every 10, 15 years anyway. So I have no interest how to tell anybody in here how to parent or how to work their relationship. Some of my best friends, you know, they have to be home. Like I have, I have one female uh, founder and she's talking to me a lot about it because her husband wants her home m so much more often. And I'm like, look, if you're not happy, it's gonna break anyway, right? So it's all communication. So far, so good, you know? But I'm not naive to know that, you know, my great fear is that my wife or my child says to me, you have to be home a lot more. Because for me, that's suffocating. You know, like I know, that I, but I have to make decisions and, and, and that's what manifests. I, I would say communication is the only thing. And I'm very, I'll tell you, I am actually fascinated by the current modern high net worth, politically correct parenting style of both parents being so deeply involved because what I'm fascinated by is I see it very similar to businesses, which is there's no such thing as co-CEOs. <laughs> Two cooks in the kitchen is very, very difficult. And so I actually think if we watch this video in 30 or 40 years, there'll be more talk about dividing and conquering than there is right now. And that's what happens, the ebb and flow. So for me, it's just communication and it's just being, there's only four or five people I have to worry about, right? My spouse, my two children, and maybe an in-law or my mom or something, right? And so not very difficult, just gotta talk about it often. And a business question, uh, so you bring content from US to the whole uh, world. How can we go from Romania to the whole world? What's the first step? It's harder. One of the great advantages for American-based personalities and businesses is America, the brand, is so powerful. So it gives us a lot of air cover. Um, I think it comes down to a very similar question before. What's amazing about the world is if you're the best at what you do, it doesn't matter if you're from the Amazon River, Transylvania, or right? It doesn't matter where you're from. So the first thing is the mentality of understanding that you shouldn't say, well, I can't do it because I'm from Romania. You know, I hate 
that mentality. There's such an opportunity, especially when I know there's underpriced attention in all of Europe and other places. So to me, it's a binary switch of you can do it. That's the first one because every country that isn't America you know, always feels like, yeah, but we here, but we here, but we, yeah, but, 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 but. So I think if, you're, if your technology is that much better, it can win. Spotify didn't happen in America, right? Like there's, you know, China's doing plenty of stuff. There's incredible, I mean, I was doing real, home, there's a real businesses being built in Romania. These are real businesses in a market size cap that is not so large. So to me, it's a mentality. The answer is by doing it. Give it to me because I want to send it back. I'm sorry. I just want to give some people some chance. Not guys, pretty athletic too. I just didn't want to talk. I don't talk about it often. Hey. Uh, hi, Gary. How are Hello you? I've been uh, watching you for seven months so far. Thank you. Uh, What's your name? Andrada. Andrada. For everybody else that's Paul here about Romania, uh, I don't know if you guys know, but Romania has kind of 30% of the people in NASA. We invented insulin and the jet planes, heading Fonda. So for everybody that doesn't care, doesn't think that we can accomplish things here, just shut the fuck up. Because we <laughs> have the power. <laughs> and I'm only 23. Okay, so my question is actually, um, because you said that one of the reasons you came here to Romania, it's because of how our, the organizer actually approached you. Yes. I'm just so curious how they did it. How, how you make a worldwide speaker to uh, come to a country like Romania? <laughs> so what, what was interesting was, it, uh, listen, and it's funny, back to the what, like one of the biggest promises I made to Lizzie a couple years ago was, no, I mean, th this is my favorite thing to do in the world. Like being here with you, like this is the best. Like I'm looking at the clock, I'm like, fuck. Like I would do this for 11 hours. Right, like I, I love this, but one of the things I promised her was no more traveling unless I actually got the fee that we agreed on. But what they did was they had a macro plan. It wasn't, they started talking about places in the world that they wanted to scale this to that I hadn't been to before or were places in my mind. I've been thinking a lot more in the last three or four years. As you can imagine, given where I was born and my narrative, it's been funny for me of like how I've been thinking about Eastern Europe because I have so much permission as an American entrepreneur that came from this part of the world to do quite well in these parts of the world, but only through serendipity, timing, like very funny reasons have I not done a lot of speaking in this part of the world. They also talked about what they wanted to do in Singapore. I've gotten very aggressive with my content in Asia. And so really it was one, just their general vibe. They were very entrepreneurial. I find a lot of like conferences come at me with more of a B2B angle and I'm like, it feels a little cold. This felt very loosey-goosey. Even when I got here, they're like, ah, come 30 minutes later. I'm like, great, I'll sleep a little more. You know, like it's been very entrepreneurial, um, but it was very much also predicated on the two locations where they wanted to start this conferences here and the fact that they wanted to do Singapore. So serendipity to what my strategy was on a macro content level um, and the overall vibes of how they approached it with like relentlessness and entrepreneurial spirit versus like going through the form and just hoping that I would do it. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Awesome. Hi, I'm Robert from Slovenia. Hey, Robert. Um, I have a small gardening company first working like uh, on other gardens then 
like building a brand. And I'm really curious about one question that is in my mind, like uh, listening to you. That is, I'm really young and people don't uh, get the knowledge from me. They don't um, believe you. Believe me, yes. Yes. So my question is, if I try put being 16 and trying to sell wine. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, if I put a live camera on my garden, I'm a pr practitioner, right? And I have an online business that is covering it now. Real quick, um, real quick. Yeah, so. If, real quick, I want you to hear something. If you're actually a practitioner, right? Yeah. Of course, show everything you've got because that will be the punchline. So a live streaming camera I'm on, on, a, on a, our webpage? Then? No, no, because no? nobody's going to go to your fucking webpage. Where right? then? Um, on, on Facebook Live. All the time, like every day. Sure. And at first, six people are going to watch. Yeah. And then seven. Nine. And Eleven. How many people were watching your at first? But at first, the first one. Right. All I heard were two numbers. She said my first one had 20 and one of my videos had 250,000, right? So, like, sure. Listen, and this is, goes back to you, my friend. I, and, and you, my friend, if you've got it, not your age, not your gender, not where you're from is going to stop you. If you've got it. It may be harder. It's harder for a Romanian startup to go global than a U.S. one. Yes. Is it harder for a female entrepreneur in a, a man's world to win? Absolutely. It drives me crazy. I invest in so many female entrepreneur-based businesses because it's impossibly stupid to think that women can't build the same kind of businesses as men and they consistently are less expensive to invest in. So I do it not because I'm a good person, but because it's a better deal. Like I would never think. So like I really, really want to squeeze out and suffocate excuses. You're going to tell, everybody's got something. You're going to tell me you're young. Great. If you're good enough and you're an actual practitioner and you know what the fuck you're doing because you've been doing it your whole life, you will win. What you have to do for all of us is you have to get people to see it. Yeah. That's why day trading attention is important because when you don't have the resources and you don't have the money or the name or the relationships, the only thing you've got is what I had when I was a kid. I was just much smarter than everybody and I fully committed to it and I was patient and I worked my face off. The end. Smarter, patient, hard work and was right and just let it happen. That's why I talk about day trading attention. It's the one thing that we can all win on and that's what you should do. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, before you throw that, yeah. you go to that dude. I want to go like further up and make sure everybody so gets a bit. Yeah, for now. Or but we'll get to both of them, so. Can I go a little late? Can I go a little bit longer? What's that? Got it, okay, cool, all right. Sorry, bro. Hi, Gary. Hey. Uh, first of all, my name is Matei. Uh, I want to thank you. I'm an influencer, and you just raised my fee by 20%. <laughs> Today, like, this was awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Uh, my question is, um, how do you go about reinventing your material? Because mm. uh, I've been doing this for three years, yes. and uh, I started out on Vine. Yes. And that never happened here, just yes. like Twitter. Understood. And then went on to Insta Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. But like after seven seconds videos, then you do sketches, then you do vlogs, and then you do, I do stand-up sometimes too, to go offline. But where do you go from there? You know, sometimes it's okay for you not to go anywhere. I think it's important for you to go deep, not wide, if that's what the current state of the union is, right? For me, Sometimes people will say, Gary, you talk about the same stuff or this and that. I'm like, yeah, it's 
what I believe in, and it's what I feel inspired to talk about right now. So, I, much like I, I said over here, you may want to challenge yourself into new settings. You know how I, did you see that thing where I said documenting versus creating? Yeah. So maybe one thing you may want to do is change the content into you being you, the human, and you documenting the journey to find new creative. Okay. You see where I'm going? I do, it's kind of something I'm doing right now because I've been creating characters. Like I yes. never really talked about myself yes. until now. Yes. So I feel like that's kind of what I'm trying to do. And it's kind of scary because I'm letting people in. Yeah. Uh, how do you go about that? Like not For me, I've been comfortable with letting people in, but not all the way. So for another thing about family, one thing that a lot of people realize is I don't share any content of my family. Like I'm always out and about everything. Zero. I mean, it's hard to find any pictures of my children at all. So I don't want to force you to let people in. Um, I think it's a huge pillar, it's an opportunity, but if it's not something you're comfortable with, you shouldn't have to do it. Um, I go about it because I'm very comfortable, because I'm, I'm I love it, I want people in, but it doesn't come natural to everybody, and so you should let it go at the pace that you're most comfortable with. Well, I'll have to say, sometimes, like, most success I've had was by doing stuff that I'm very uncomfortable <laughs> about. Go figure. So, yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll have to find that balance. Thanks you, so much. You got it, my man. Hi, Gary. 149, 147. Go ahead, go ahead. Hi, two questions. Yep. First, my name is Cornell. Cornell. When can we take a picture together? Right now. Right now? Yep. Okay, I will come. Okay. Uh, second, it's kind of a follow-up. You said sure. about uh, documenting the journey. Yes. Where do you draw the line? What you must not document? I think everybody's is different. I, I, you should come down now. I decided not to talk about my family because that's my line. Uh, most people are successful who are bloggers using their family. Kids and relationships and pets, they do very well on media. I don't use any of those things. Um, so, my man, I think it's different for everybody, right? Like, I don't go into everything about my family dynamics. You know, I keep a lot of stuff that's between me and AJ and uh, me and my dad, you know, to myself. Nice to finally meet you too. So I think, I think again, it's a very personal thing It's a, it's a very personal thing. I, I, I feel like we're wrapping up here. Let me say this. Sorry. This is, this is a very personal thing, and it starts with self-awareness. Don't do what I've done. Don't do what other people have done. Start trying to figure yourself out. Put your toe into things. Try things. But please, if anything, please, please, please promise me one thing. Please understand we are in it right now. I can come back here in three years and be like, you fucked up. Facebook's now properly priced. It's $35 CPMs, not six. Google is tired and mature. Facebook's now mature and nothing has popped up. From 2011, 12, 13, there was nothing great. Like Facebook was happening like, until the ad product. Like, we are in it right now. Please take advantage of it. Thank you very much. All right, episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe up on Apple. It would mean a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to me. Thank you very much. Thanks, Gary. Today's highlighted review is Gary V is must consume content by Invest in Your Kid. It doesn't matter the platform, topic, or subject matter. You will learn something from Gary V. Period. Extremely grateful for his wisdom, insight, compassion, and humility. He's willing to help anyone because it's the right thing to do. Thanks, Gary V.
and can't wait to see you again in Orlando. Cheers. Thanks, Invest in Your Kid. Keep those reviews coming. We could highlight yours next.